Well, that was just awesome. Very good reading. The question is, is what do we end up putting our hope in? We actually put our hope in lots of things. And we're let down by lots of things. We put our hope without any rationale in favorite football teams that really break our hearts. And then bowl schedules come out, and they're highly disappointing. And so we put our hopes in lots of things. Sometimes we put our hopes in parents, and they disappoint. Sometimes we put our hopes in companies or in governments, or sometimes we put our hopes in our own ability, and we dis disappoint ourselves. The question remains, when we wrestle with hope, when we want to make ourselves vulnerable and put our hope in someone, what do we do when they inevitably disappoint? John the Baptist was someone that the prophets had spoke of long ago, and he would be the one that would come in advance preparing the way for Jesus. It was a really significant occasion when John the Baptist came out of the, into the wilderness and he was saying the words, prepare your hearts or prepare the way. In other words, something better has come. Until then, there had been about 400 years of silence, 400 years of a lack of guidance, 400 years of a lack of direction, 400 years of a lack of revelation. All they had was the text and the history of a faithful God to go on, but 400 years without some kind of divine prompt. And then this sort of unusual character in the wilderness calling out for everyone to turn and to prepare their hearts. And one of the things that he talked about was being a wonderful counselor. A counselor was needed. I think if silence is something I experience, a counselor is needed. Uh, a counselor is always a great source of wisdom. Counselor is a good source of comfort. A counselor is someone in whom we can trust even when we don't understand or agree with. Sometimes the words of a counselor are hard pills to swallow. They're hard to hear, except all they're doing is speaking into our life for our benefit. So the prophet Isaiah spoke of this wonderful counselor that would eventually come. And the question is, do you know Christ as a wonderful counselor? I love the words of Henry Nouwen, when he, when he wrote these words, he said, waiting is a period of learning. I am not a patient person. I like things in a timely fashion. I tend to get a little anxious and want to expedite processes. I want to create efficiencies. And yet, Henry Nouwen, this Catholic priest, would say that waiting is actually, at least spiritually, a time of learning. Do you experience waiting, particularly when you're waiting on God for an answer to prayer, waiting on God for revelation, direction, comfort? Do you experience God as a wonderful counselor? And before that answer comes, before that revelation comes, it's a time for reflection and learning. That's what Advent is inviting us into. And so the longer we wait, the more we have to hear about him for whom we are waiting. John's announcement was that there was a better way to live. And Advent is that time of reflection, of repentance, of preparation, but not necessarily of celebration. 
So the question comes when we start this Advent process is how are you preparing? We're not good at preparing because we think of preparing for Christmas as I make travel plans and I do shopping, right? And you make some plans and you order some Christmas cards. And this is sort of how we've dumbed down Christmas, except how are we preparing our hearts? Advent enables us to celebrate the season that is Christ's coming into the world and our hearts. And so I think about it is how are we preparing? If you have a test, you study. If you have a race, you train. If you have a presentation to give, you organize your thoughts. But there's something that happens on the front end for us to be ready. And it's not if, but when we'll be tested. I'm concerned that most Christians live their life trying to avoid bad things from happening. And so we have to get more realistic and think it's not if, it's when difficulties arrive. How have we prepared our hearts? At Mission Hills, we have a commitment to practice because we think practices, spiritual expressions of faith, have a way of developing faith more than simply just signing into programs. So we want to have a living and a very active and a very tactile expression of faith. But the invitation that John gives is to arrange our heart and our life for Christ. So the question I have is we light this hope candle and we listen to the words of John saying, prepare the way. How are we training to run this way? How are we deepening our understanding of God? Our, under, our ability to maybe recognize God's voice or steward our resources because that to me sounds like good, healthy preparation. Do you remember that commercial uh, that would come out with some rather fanatical fans that says it's only weird if it doesn't work? There was this idea that you have some superstition about your team pulling off the win. Uh, I, I love watching you know, several sports. I, I follow sports closely, so I am outing myself as someone who's not always rational or objective. But there is oftentimes when you get into playoff competition, a certain sign that goes up. Have you seen the we believe sign? I think this takes fandom to another level because I'm not sure what you're really trying to communicate we believe uh, because really you can't it's not like you can go out and play um, you can't go out and help a hurt um, athlete you, you can't like be the manager or coach and, and do substitutions there's really two options you have as a fan cheer and boo. That's really what you have to do. So I think it's a little misplaced to say we believe because that sort of implies that you had something to do with an outcome that might have been favorable. Really the sign should say we hope, <laughs> we want, we pray, but we believe, come on, like, like you had something to do with this. And I think when we talk about faith, we're talking about something that needs an action. What is belief if it doesn't have an application? Otherwise, it's simply this 
idea of passive belief without any putting any feet to it. And so there is, I think, in Christianity, what I would consider a football problem. Maybe you've heard this analogy before. And if you look at a stadium of football players, you have 11 people on the field in desperate need of a break. And you have 50,000 fans in desperate need of exercise. What we have in the church today is a lot of people who have belief, but with little application. And what we are trying to do is create a faith that feels very practical. And so we've boiled faith down to simple expressions of generosity and hospitality and compassion and renewal and community and gratitude and apprenticing. We want to be people of practice who are willing to step onto the field, roll up our sleeves and say, no, we do. Yes, we believe, but we also step into the game and are willing to get dirty over it, even if it comes with effort or inconvenience. This is the picture of what we have when we're talking about Joseph. Joseph, or often referred to as what was the Bethlehem candle, is a, is a statement of the kind of love that Joseph had. You have to understand Joseph's condition. He had nothing to do with Mary's pregnancy, but he was engaged to her. And yet the angel of the Lord meets him in a very profound way. What Joseph did for Mary was not chivalry. It was about his faith and his love to obey the angel of the Lord and say, I do, I believe, and so I'm going to take her anyway to be my wife. This is humbling to me. This is inspiring to me because Joseph's faith his obedience took on great risk, took on huge consequences. And so I love the picture that we have when he says, and this is Matthew chapter one, Joseph was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her, but he did what the Lord commanded him to do. So for Joseph, his belief, his following after God, his allegiance, if you will, was in a mighty God. Remember, we talked about the names of God being significant. Do you know God as a mighty God? Or do you know God as a maybe God? What faith requires is for us to step out, not for God to part the seas and then we go. Some of you have heard me told what this story in the rabbinic tradition was. As the two guys got out to the sea, they, didn't, they had to step into the water after leaving Egypt, and then the waters began to part after they had gotten up to their noses wet. I think that's a picture of what God's inviting us in, to trust. Do we wait for God to move, and then somehow we'll just kind of step into it? Or do we sense God leading us and is willing to step out and use our gifts, use that sense of, um, that prompt from the Holy Spirit? And so this was more than a good idea for him. This was more than a cultural sort of norm. This was more than some religious obligation. You could see in Joseph his trust. I trust you, God, with my reputation. 
not my will, not my life, not my reputation, but your will be done. And he was able to follow even though he was uncertain and even uncomfortable. This is what inspires me about the life of Joseph. Now his life isn't well told after the birth of Christ and the dedication of the Christ child. We don't hear a lot more of him. But in this moment, he passes this sort of faithfulness test, this test of love, this test of devotion and obedience, and he doesn't shy away from it. I would simply say this, faith isn't revealed until we step out, and we can say that God is mighty to save, but until there's an action associated with our belief, faith is never really developed. I want to read for you, uh, if you haven't picked up a copy of this, and uh, uh, you can go to the app. My phone's in back, but there are links. One is a, a daily Advent reading I would encourage you to participate in. Um, we have the book uh, that we heard from tonight that was read, and it has each day to go through, and you can have a reading at, at your family dinner table. But this book um, is written by Henry Nowen, and it's called Advent and Christmas. I've just been reading it each morning, and it gives you a little bit of a thought and then it gives you maybe a prayer, scripture, and an Advent action. And that's what I was kind of intrigued by. This week, there was a couple of Advent actions that I thought were really unique. This was the Advent action on day six. It says, it is said that the original Christmas tree grew out of an evergreen that was part of a setting for a medieval morality plays acted out on the steps of churches. This tree was used to represent the Garden of Eden. Create a small tree on which you hang apples or the representation to remind you of the failings that you wish to avoid this advent. The apples, of course, stand for the fruit of the tree of good and evil in which Satan tempted Adam and Eve. I thought about that. What an interesting way to practice, to prepare, to express faith during Christmas than to say, here's what I don't want to experience. Here's the things that I want to avoid. I actually want to avoid consumerism and materialism. So I'm not going to go into debt this season. I'm not going to spend more than I have. I don't want to plan more than I can sustain with my physical body. How many of us get to the week after Christmas and around New Year's and have already got a sickness because we've run ourselves ragged? Maybe we want to avoid that. Maybe we want to avoid sort of intoxicating ourselves, whether it be uh, with, with, with alcohol or something like that that would help curb some of the emotional pain that we feel. What are the things that we want to avoid? This is what this is challenging. I started thinking about that. How do I put feet to what I believe? And just this morning I was reading about this and it said this, don't dislike any, uh, excuse me, do not let dislike dominate your heart. When we talk about belief, we can say that God is a loving God or that God forgives us. But what are we doing with the forgiveness that we've been afforded? I think that's a profound action step for those of us who say, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I believe that he's coming for the restoration of all things. But then I read this, do not dislike, do not let dislike dominate your heart. Make a short list of those whom you dislike, even, uh, and choose one person to expunge from you negative thoughts. I thought this is the kind of thing that, that is a simple way. You might not be asked you haven't been asked, to parent the Christ child. But for all of us, we're being asked to somehow believe and act on the behalf 
of a mighty God who is in fact mighty to save, who is in fact mighty to heal, mighty to comfort, mighty to provide, mighty to care. That's the God that Joseph said yes to. His belief, his love was seen in his action and were forever changed by his playing the role of a surrogate father. Let that be true of our faith as well.